Relationship Podcast with your host, Certified Life Coach, Chris Rich. If you're having trouble navigating your mixed faith relationships, struggling to connect with your people, or having specific challenges, you are in the right place, my friend. Episode 76, Mixed Faith Marriage Mastermind on Alcohol. Hello there, my friends. Hey, for the last few months, I've been meeting with two of my awesome life coach colleagues in what we call the Mixed Faith Marriage Mastermind. We've got some great alliteration there, and it's kind of a mouthful. So all three of us are in our own mixed faith marriages, and we all have very different experiences and perspectives. So in this mastermind that I'm going to share with you today, we focus on alcohol. I'll also be posting the last one that we did on connection, which was fantastic. And it's my hope that something we share will be applicable to you and your unique situations. So here you go, my friends. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Mixed Faith Marriage Mastermind today. I love this group so much. We've got three mixed faith experts. And what do I mean by that? We have three women here with lots of different experiences and perspectives. And all three of us are in a mixed faith marriage and or family. I guess they're all, I guess that makes it a mixed faith family. And we are all mothers. We've got kids of all different ages. And so we've got a lot of experience here together. Also, we are all life coaches that have this common goal of helping people to create strong and meaningful connection and loving relationships while honoring our spouse and where they are in their faith journey. So I love, I just, I get so excited. I just have to tell you, I love these women. So I'm so excited to be talking with Suzette and Brooke today. Um, I'm going to have you guys introduce yourselves and tell you who you are and who you work with, and then I'll introduce the topic. Uh, Brooke, let me have you start to, you go ahead. Sure. So I'm Brooke Booth and just like Chris said, a certified life coach who works with people in a mixed faith marriage. I also work with people going through faith transitions. They often go hand in hand. Um, I'm one that like my, if I had a philosophy, I would say it's, you can have a great mixed faith marriage. I think that's the primary thing I work with people on is like really just believing that this type of marriage can be a great marriage. And then obviously building the school, the skills and tools to do that. But I think that's like, it's really is possible. I know it's a little bit radical of an idea, but it is possible. Love it. And I'm so thankful for that. (laughs) Okay, Suzette. So I um, work mostly with couples. I have multiple different kind of training and certification and and specifically working with couples. And I generally, I work with all kinds of couples, but uh, people navigating big differences and value differences and trying to learn how to be in partnership as two different people is really the theme of what I do. And I work uh, with mixed faith marriages because that involves a lot of blending and partnering of two different people with two different views and how to make that work. And personally, we have to do, I have to do that in my own marriage a lot. Uh, I am a participating member, but not really a believing member and blending my views and my husband's views and how we raise our kids in this mixture of what we do as a family is challenging and also really rewarding. And so that's kind of who I am. Awesome. So that I love last time we met how you said this was kind of your experiment with your family. And I have thought about that a lot. <laughs> we don't know how it's going to work out. We'll We're see. all just figuring this out. Um, Brooke, I tell us where you are at with your faith, just so people understand our different perspectives too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll actually mention it just a little bit in terms of alcohol. But um, so I do not attend church. I've had a faith transition and I don't attend church. My husband does. My youngest son does. My three older daughters do not. So mixed faith family for sure. 
And I was thinking, I'll just mention this right here, but I was thinking our topic's alcohol today. Not to steal your thunder, Chris, but our topic. Now they know. (laughs) And I was thinking, so I'm the, like, the official post-Mormon in the group. And I have not not a lot of experience to bring to the table my own experience with alcohol it's not something I I enjoy or use but um so I just have to be clear with that I know I'm the post-mormon and I'm supposed to be the one who knows all about this I am not (laughs) but I do know a lot about coaching tools and I've coached a ton of people on this topic but I have to just be really clear this is not something personally that I did once take a sip of my brother-in-law's cider there's my once <laughs> there you go I think the personal aspect of this is going to be really entertaining like I'll probably get into like this I think anyway so I'm glad you shared that which is funny uh I'll, I'll I can go into my my part later when we get into it yeah well that's yeah well now you guys know what we're going to be talking about but that um just really quick um, so I'm Chris Rich. I am an active believing member and I'm currently serving in my stake relief society presidency. My, um, my husband, and I have been married for 25 years and most of that time he has had no interest in religion. And, um, so yeah. And then our kid, we've got three kids. We've got a 14 year old, a 19 year old and a 21 year old. So I've got adult children. So this is definitely a topic that comes up in our family and they have all my husband and my kids, none of them have any interest at all in religion. So, um, there's, so that, that is my, that is my personal experience. And, um, although we're not on the same page with religion and a lot of other topics, we have an awesome family, a very human family with all sorts of different emotions. And sometimes we get along and sometimes we don't get along, but there is a lot of love and respect and authenticity and connection and and peace in our family, as well as those hard things. And I am also a certified life coach and I help members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that are looking to make their mixed faith relationships, not just work, but to make them amazing. So that's who I work with. So there you go with, those are a little, those are our introductions. So like Brooke mentioned, we are going to be talking about alcohol today. And uh, we've got this series that we're calling the mixed faith marriage mastermind. And last time we talked about connection. And if you haven't heard that, you're going to want to go back. We had a great discussion on that. And today we're going to be talking about alcohol and um, kind of our general theme that we want to be focusing on is how to balance partnership and the desire to be an individual when it comes to alcohol. So that's kind of where we're heading. And we've got a bunch of different questions. I'm just going to share um, some of the things we're going to be talking about, and we're just going to have a great discussion here about all these different things. So why is alcohol such a hot topic? Why is it so scary? How is it neutral? How can we communicate about it? What if you find it hidden in your house? How can you make this a win-win um, and tips for the spouse that may be considering drinking or maybe not? And, and to Brooke's point, I think it's so interesting. Well, we'll get into that later. <laughs> so many good things to talk about. So let's start off with a question why is alcohol such a hot topic? And whoever wants to go with that can start us off. Well, I'll start out. So there's a lot of fear around alcohol and much of it's earned. Like, like it's, it, it, you know, it is, um, you know, it alters the, you know, the human mind and it can be problematic. However, I see a lot of the fear that I work with, with clients around alcohol is not like, realized like a lot of the fear that I see around alcohol is like what I call like future tripping type fear fear of stuff happening in the future many get so wrapped up in this fear and it just takes them away into really scary places they get concerned that their spouse will do dangerous things or make bad choices they get really concerned about what this is going to mean for the kids 
sort of giving the kids permission to drink. And so I see a lot of times, like, I think it's a hot topic because it just really opens the door to this like future tripping fear based way of thinking about it, which is highly unsettling for you as an individual, but you know, there's ripples of that in the relationship. So like the, when we go into the future and we future trip and our fears, like that's a scary place to be. We're in this like wild west, unknown alcohol, like scary place. And, and I think that's one reason it's a hot topic. I think there's a lot of messaging too in the LDS culture that feeds into that for good or ill that, that makes it extra scary. But I think it's like, we're talking about fear of the unknown here because we don't know what our spouse is going to do. We don't know how their body is going to react to this. They don't know. Like it's, there's just fear, 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 and can really be uh, paralyzing for a lot of people when they face that. I can, I can say, cause I, I work with couples outside of, you know, the LDS faith. I've worked with just couples in general and alcohol is a hot topic outside of mixed faith marriages too. Like a lot of marriages struggle with, you know, people acting in ways that are detrimental to the relationship with alcohol. I think the unique part about mixed faith marriages is you're dealing with, uh, problems even with um responsible alcohol use that's like the the unique piece in mixed faith marriages like in outside of mixed faith marriages it's kind of a big deal when people are acting irresponsibly with alcohol and it impacts the family in in mixed faith marriages it's often even just the thought of drinking or having a drink or responsible use is still affecting the relationship and that's a really unique part that i i find it's it's really interesting um but yeah i think it's it's a hot topic for good reason um, and I think for me, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's fascinating because it's a, alcohol is a huge part of the culture outside of the church that, you know, like if you look at members of the church and the whole world population, there's not a lot of us compared to everyone you look at. And, um, alcohol is definitely a part of life outside of the outside of the church. So I think that there's definitely this within the church, there's definitely this, this is right. And this is wrong. Drinking is wrong. Living the word of wisdom is, is the right thing to do. So I think it's definitely, yeah, they're just like putting it in that perspective, I think can be an interesting, an interesting thing. So definitely a hot topic. And, uh, Brooke kind of mentioned this a little bit with why it's so scary. And, I'm going to, I'm going to start off with this. Um, well, so we are all aware of the word of wisdom that there are certain things that we consume and certain things that we don't consume. And I think for me, I grew up well for all of us, cause we all grew up in the church. Um, we grew up believing that alcohol is bad and we all have either our own personal experiences with alcohol that, you know, like maybe we have, I haven't, I've never, I do confess. I did taste my brother. Let me taste like a, a cooler once. And I think I literally like stuck my tongue in like that and just taste it. So that is my experience with alcohol. Um, but I, so we have our own experiences or lack thereof. And then also I think everyone knows someone that has been really affected by alcohol. Maybe they know someone that is an alcoholic or that they've experienced some really significant trauma. So I think that is one thing to, uh, you know, to pull in, to think about that. So when you're in a mixed faith relationship, and this is something you feel like you're on the same page, like no alcohol, and then this door opens up, it's kind of like this rug just gets ripped out <laughs> from under your feet and thinking like, okay, so maybe you don't believe in your, you know, you've left the church. What else could that mean? Where else could this take me? So I know, yeah, it just felt like that rug had just been ripped out. And I've, I, a lot of my clients share that same um, feeling as well. So it's like actually a you think a, a trauma response, you know, like, like this panic, this fight or flight that 
when we hear about alcohol. So it's definitely something that, that can be scary. Okay. What are your, what are your thoughts about, um, any additional thoughts on why it's so scary? No, I, I agree with all of that. And, and Brooke, I like your word future tripping and yeah, it's this, this is a no, no thing and this is bad. And Oh, all the bad things that could happen. And there's some reality to that. And I think that's where we have to have some self-compassion, like for people who are dealing with this. Okay. Now alcohol might be part of maybe my spouse or I want to experiment with alcohol. Like that's a lot of stuff to process. So just having compassion, like there's reason, there's good reason to be afraid because people, you know, it can be abused. There's reasons that this is hard and difficult and frightening and scary. And just, yeah, just like be compassionate. Like, yes, this is really hard to do, to take all of this in and deal with all of this uh, suddenly sometimes for people. Not a piggyback on that, because I think this is an opportunity to like, find out why it's scary for you. Like, like, why is it so scary is the question we're talking about. And I think this is very individual. Everybody has their own lived experience, the own, their own messages they received. And so I think this is an opportunity for, you know, when this is something you're faced in your marriage, why is this scary for you as an individual? You know, what is the story you're telling yourself that's making it scary for you? It's going to be very different for different people. And so it's going to have a different approach. And I love the idea of approaching whatever it is with compassion, like Suzette says. But is it because you see it as immoral, because it's against the word of wisdom? Is it because you're afraid they'll be an alcoholic? Is it because you're afraid it'll ruin the family? Is it afraid because you think they'll hurt you or you'll be hurt or whatever, like what is your version of scary? And can you be familiar with that and be aware of that and create awareness around it so that you can start to decide if that's a good reason for you, if that makes sense, if that's a place you want to stay indefinitely. Like this is, and all I'm saying here is like, this is a great opportunity to build awareness around why it's so scary for you, if it is. I love that because I think they're, you know, growing up thinking this is bad there. So there's definitely that, but then yeah, all those other reasons that we may have about that. Um, and this, I think leads us into the next question. So as life coaches, we help our clients that are experiencing a, um, a circumstance or a situation in their life one of the things that we try to do is help them to see how that circumstance is neutral. And what I mean by that with alcohol, alcohol, the topic of alcohol or drinking alcohol, other, I mean, obviously alcohol affects what your body does, but we, we call it a, we call a circumstance, a neutral, a neutral circumstance that it can't make you feel anything at all until you have thoughts about it. So let's talk about this. How is, how is alcohol neutral? And this took me some, some work to recognize that it is. So what are your thoughts on that? You guys? Oh, I have to jump in here. Cause this is, this was easy work for me to do like, okay. Why is alcohol neutral? One is if you look at the broader society, it's not scary for everybody. Not everybody thinks it's immoral or bad, or that you'll automatically be an alcoholic. Like to me, that indicates that like the, I, like you take the circumstances you're saying, Chris, of alcohol, people have all sorts of different thoughts, all sorts of different stories around it. And they're not all, this is bad and dangerous and people will be alcoholics or, or whatever it is. Like there's a whole world of options here. So I was thinking about it and I'm like, look, alcohol is great. It, it can be used as a disinfectant. Like it can just be a thing on your shelf in your pantry. And mean it, it can mean the same thing as having a box of crackers. <laughs> if that's what you want to assign to it, but it's just a, it's just like a, a thing you use. Like it's the same as oven cleaner. Oven cleaner is like neutral and it can be a wonderful thing to clean your oven with. And if you use it to brush your teeth, that's a really bad idea, but that doesn't make it inherently evil or wrong. But I like to, I like to see it as neutral because it helps me to then like, not be so automatically carried away into the future tripping or the fear spiraling. It just helps me have a little pause and a space 
before I automatically go into like, this is a bad problem, this is a terrible thing and, and sort of hitting the panic button. And I think that is why a lot of people who go through a faith crisis need to almost, not all of them, as you've pr proven, Brooke, like not everybody needs to, but a lot of people kind of need to experiment with it to get to a place of neutrality. Like I've had so much messaging that this is bad and this is dangerous. I need to see how I interact with it and how I feel about it through some er experimentation so that I can feel neutral about it and see like, eh, it's, it's neither bad. It's not good. It's just a thing. So I think getting to neutrality often comes with experimentation for an individual, for a couple, like, okay, maybe I do need to, you, you can drink and let's see how, if I can get to a place of neutrality about it. So I think there's that aspect of getting to neutrality sometimes revolves, involves experimentation. I would totally agree with that. And, and I would say that I am probably the exception and not the rule in this case. Like I'm kind of like in little over the top when it comes to like what I put in my body. And I'm very cautious about that. A lot of this stuff is laced with sugar and I'm like, no, thank you. So I realize I am not like, don't follow me if that doesn't make sense for you. I think your point is spot on though. And I see it with so many clients is that as people want to experiment and try things, I think it comes from actually a pretty healthy place of their own self-development and their own self-autonomy and their own just like self-exploration. No, I would agree with that. Okay. This is my like 13 year old little boy brain. <laughs> Brooke, are you saying you can clean your oven with alcohol or was that just an example? No, I was just saying like, we have all sorts of things that we just consider neutral even though they do, they can have harmful effects. So like oven cleaner. So like, don't, she's not saying to go clean your oven with alcohol, just no, clearing like, that up. I don't right, clean my oven. Like, so think about all this stuff in your house. So I have vodka in my pantry that I use to make vanilla with because it's makes nice vanilla. Right. And then, but like, but I don't think of it as like an inherently evil thing sitting on my shelf. It's neutral. Okay. It's just I'm something just, just like oven cleaner, right? I wouldn't use it to like wash my dog with, okay. but I don't I think of it as like, right. I'm just being a smart aleck. I'm just keeping it light here. Yeah, I should have guessed. Classic. I was like, really? That's a good to know. So she's not saying that. Um, okay. So with the whole idea that alcohol is neutral, that that idea that took me a long time to really get to that point. And, you know, like Brooke was saying, you can ask a hundred different people and they're all going to have a very different experience or a different view about it. Uh, when my, I was talking to another parent in my town and I was so worried. I think my kids were going on a senior trip or something. And I was so worried knowing that there probably would be alcohol and, and, you know, just like panicking about it. And she, I was talking to this friend about it and she was like, you know what? I'm hoping that my daughter drinks because this is a great opportunity. And I was just like, <laughs> I was floored. I was floored because we had such different perspectives about this. And um, I think another thing that I want to point out that alcohol is neutral. It can't make you feel anything until you think a thought about it. I'm not saying consuming it, but the actual subject of alcohol, but I don't have to be neutral about it. For me, I, alcohol is not something that I ever, that I ever want to consume or plan on. And I don't need to get to this spot where I'm just like, I love alcohol. This is fantastic. I think it's just interesting that the, we get to we get to, it's a neutral thing that we get to choose what we want to think about it and how we want to feel about it. But that took me some work realizing like, I, I really, you know, I, that's something that I, I don't know that I'm ever going to feel good about. And that's okay. It's totally okay that I don't, I don't have to change who I am or what I want to do and feel neutral about it. It's just, I get to choose how I want to think and how I want to feel about it. Um, Okay. I'm just checking my notes. Do we, and the reason that's important is because my emotions fuel my actions. And if I am, you know, if I'm, if alcohol is something that scares me to death and I have a lot of fear around it, 
as a parent or as a partner, I'm going to show up differently if my actions are fueled with fear. So I just want to know that that is an option that I, that, that is available. So, um, any other thoughts on that, my friends? Well, I just think the, the partnership aspect of that, since that's kind of what we're working towards is like you were saying, you know, I don't want alcohol. It's not important to me. I don't have to love it. And I think we have to grant always grace to our partner who's trying to figure this themselves out after a faith crisis. That is an, an identity shift. So when somebody's having to rebuild their identity and they're having to kind of figure out, well, now what do, what is my relationship to alcohol now? Do I want it? Do I want to be a social drinker? Do I care? And granting other people the chance to figure out their identity and their beliefs around it again, because it's shifting for them. So, um, you know, I can speak to me personally that, it, it, it wasn't an important part of my identity formation. And then it did become an important part. Like, okay, I've always been told what my relationship to alcohol should be. I really want to decide that for myself. And that was a shift. And I really had, and I did some experimenting and came to the place of like, so now I can really say like, uh, green tea is my caffeine of choice and good red wine, good white wine. I love in certain contexts to enhance experiences and the other forms of alcohol, I don't have a taste for, and I just can't even get it down. And so that's like, I had to go through that process of finding out what I thought about alcohol and its purpose for me. And I think we have to grant our spouses the chance to do that um, as, as part of this, you know, I think this about alcohol and you get to figure out what you think about alcohol. And there might be some identity formation in that process if that makes sense. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So our next question, how can we, so going off of what Suzette was saying, what can we do to communicate about alcohol to openly have these conversations? I would love to hear your thoughts. So I think this is an area where communication can be particularly tricky where you can find yourself between like a rock and a hard place. Like if I share this with them, that I want to do this experimenting, that I want to try this, that I want to experiment with this or whatever, like they're, they might freak out. They might be too afraid. They like, it might, they might be mad. Like there might be some behavior that I'm not really super excited to deal with and work with but at the same time if I don't share it with them they might feel betrayed they might feel dismissed they might feel ignored and it can be a bit of a rock and a hard place there so either way it's going to take some courage it's going to take some some internal work to like look at your reasons for whether you share or don't share and I wouldn't say that there's a like a a universal truth here on how to communicate around this. I think each couple has very unique dynamics and patterns and things that need to be taken into account here. But as you come to what decision makes sense for you, look at your reasons and make sure you like them. Make sure that they're in alignment with your values and how you want to be showing up in this relationship and the kind of relationship you want to have with your spouse. It's And so I, I don't want to be like prescriptive here, but this is going to take a little bit of work on your, like whoever in the partnership wants to talk about this, it's going to take a little bit of work and it's going to take a little bit of time to um, figure out how is the best way to communicate about alcohol. Yeah, I think I just... I could talk about partnership all day long. And I think if you're committed to partnership, you're committed to understanding that your actions impact the other person always. And you always have to be aware of that. And it's so communicating about it uh, is a respectful thing to do. If you're focused on, we have a partnership here where I impact you. So, um, I mean, I, I'll just, I'll share a lot of personal stories today because it might be helpful. So for me, when I came to the place of like, I really want to understand and, and figure out what my own relationship with alcohol is like, I had to really communicate that and be really do whatever I could to make sure that was an emotionally safe thing for my husband and say like, I'm not going to go out and drink, 
Like I'm uh, all I want. I want to try a margarita. That's all I want to do. I want to try like a glass of Chardonnay. Like I just have this bucket list of, I want to try these things. How do you feel about that? How does that like, does that bother you? I don't have to do this now. Like let's talk about it. And so we talked about it and figured out like what worked for him and for me, which kind of gets into what you were wanting to talk about, um, Chris, about like how to find win-wins. But um, I think communication is, here's what's important to me, but I don't have to act on it right away. And I don't have to do it all my way. Like, what do you think? Like just that kind of transparency, like let's figure this out together creates partnership and emotional safety, which I think is always the goal is, is uh, emotional safety as a couple. I would totally agree with that. And I would also say not all couples are in a place where they can actually participate in a partnership. And I am a big fan of partnership. I think it's a beautiful place to be. And I've seen a lot of couples I work with, they're not experiencing a partnership. And so they can't just dive in and and enjoy the benefits of a partnership when it comes to talking about alcohol. Something else I see is like, I would say work toward a partnership. That's my value is to have a partnership kind of relationship. But I also recognize that's not everybody's ideal relationship. And, and there is privilege in having that established already with your spouse, especially in a situation like this, especially when talking about something like alcohol. Um, I have had clients where um, it's really challenging talking to their spouse about it because there was no quarter, like there was no room for negotiation. There was no room for discussion like you're talking about here, Suzette, right? I'm thrilled you and your husband could discuss it, but I don't even know how many clients I've worked with and there was no negotiation space there. Right, right. And that's that's problematic, right? Because because couplehood should always be about negotiation and win-win. And I think that should be like, yeah, if you're not at a place where you can do that, then, then you shouldn't be dealing with the alcohol issue yet. You should be dealing with the fact that like, we can't talk openly. Uh, we can't find win-wins like that's yeah, totally. Like then you're dealing, then you might need to take it down a notch and be like, okay, we're not even going to deal with alcohol right now. We're going to deal with the fact that there's so much rigidity that there's no room for like anything in the middle. Totally. Yeah. And there I might think, be, oh. work to, I'm sorry, Chris, there might be work on somebody's part to like address their own fears and scary stories around alcohol before the couple can have that partnership discussion. It, it's like, they're like, I sometimes say when there's an issue, like maybe we need to step back and resolve something before we can come here. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. Suzette is like, okay, we're, where can we get purchase here? Where can we find, like, yeah. where, where do we really need to be starting? And sometimes it's not in the alcohol discussion. Yeah. I think that, I think one of the big things when, when alcohol comes up, I've, I have a lot of clients that have come to me and said, you know, there was no, there was no communication. It was just like, I just found this or my husband was drunk or or maybe they did have a conversation. I think one of the big, big things that we need to do is to allow those emotions because there's going to be fear. There's probably going to be anger, some betrayal. So when those emotions come up, that it is so, so, so important to let yourself feel what is coming up for you. And um, I, you know, going back to Susan, I just, I look at you and just think, wow, that how beautiful that you're in that spot. I love that that is your experience. And I, that has not been my experience. Well, in some, in some ways it has been my experience, but I, I think one of the big things when, and I'm talking about with my kids are older. So, um, you know, like with kids and, and husbands, when people do come and share like, Hey, I'm thinking about this. I think it's so important that we can not freak out. And I'm just going to be honest. I freaked out. I've learned this the hard way. I've done it the wrong way most times, but I'm getting better. But you know, when my kids come to me and say something, it, you know, sometimes it shocks me and I just think, Oh my word, this is not what I want. And I get scared. 
And I want them to be able to come back and talk to me. So I think with that, as we're learning to communicate, to really get curious and to ask questions and definitely to to allow those emotions, but I may need to go and allow my emotions on my own or with a coach or have that time and then go back and be able to have a conversation and ask, help me understand what is this, what does this look like for you? What are you, what are you, and you know, like with Suzette, she just had like a little, a list, a bucket list. And, um, I, we, we jumped so that we catastrophize and we think, oh, they are for sure going to be an alcoholic. They are going to do this, this, and this. And I think it, it's good to be, if we can, to ask those questions, help me understand what is this? What do you mean by this? Like paint this picture for me. What are you, um, what is this? What does this look like for you? I think those are some good questions because we assume that all of a sudden that they're going to quit their job and they're going to be a bum and everything's over, which may not really be true. So I think just having one of my favorite questions that I like to ask is, is this going to build a wall between us or is this going to be a bridge? Is this going to be a, um, so just, I, I like to think of that when I, when I can, and like I said, I have not done this perfectly. I've messed up a lot, but I wish in a lot of cases, I would have thought about that when I was having the conversation. Well, I just just want to add, like, because I'm sharing my story, it makes it sound like, oh, you know, this went so smoothly. It is the, it is the result of a ton of work that I've done with how to communicate. So when I approached my husband, it was done slowly over time and with so much safety. Like I care about you. You're my priority and the kids. I want to know how you feel about this. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm open to your thoughts, right? I think the art of communicating is what allows partnership to happen, Uh, And again, so couples who aren't able to communicate in that way, like, yeah, you got some groundwork to do first. Um, So. And if you need help with that, go talk to Suzette. Or Chris or Brooke, right? We all work in the art of communicating. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So let's, I mentioned this just a minute ago. Uh, what if you do find, maybe it is a shock. Maybe this has not been a conversation where you've talked about this and you, I've had a couple of clients that have come to me and said, I just found this. I had no idea. Or it was, um, you know, it was hidden. Let's talk about what do you do when you, when you, when you are surprised by it? I, I would say, you zoom out, you don't make it about the alcohol, you make it about like, oh, like they must not trust me enough to talk to me. And why is that? And be curious, like what is happening that they were afraid to talk to me about this? They felt the need to hide. Is it because I'm so critical? Am I judgmental? Am I so rigid? Am I, do we not have the kind of partnership where we can really reveal who we are and what we're thinking about? So I would zoom out and make that more of like, oh, like, let's talk about this. What's going on between us? that this needed to happen um, instead of re- making it be about like the alcohol. I would, what does this say about our relationship and the status of it? A hundred percent agree with that. So there's two different situations that can be he- involved here. One is like, you've never talked about it yet. Like there hasn't been some sort of discussion or decision made. And in that case, like this is where we're piggybacking on communication. Okay. Now we have an opportunity to have some conversation. I love this quote by George Bernard Shaw. I share this with clients all the time. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that has taken place. Mm-hmm. If you've had no discussion around conversation or conversation or decision around alcohol, this is not a breach of trust. This is this is just something you guys haven't talked about. Now here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity to talk about it. The other thing is what Suzette is talking more about is, you know, let's say there is hiding going on and maybe you have discussed it and they're still hiding or like, I would say in the first place, it's not even hiding. It's just like, you can't hide when there's no rule, but maybe I'm being a little too strict, but if there is discussion that this is not something we want in the house and then there is hiding, I, based on like piggybacking on what Suzette said, this indicates to me 
that there's something going on here. Like she was saying, like, is, am I overcritical? And is this not safe? And I would say things like, we want to react to our hurt instead of slow down and get curious about why were they doing that? I've seen this play out in my marriage over and over and over where something is said and the others, like somebody wants to react to hurt instead of get curious about like, why did this happen in the first place? Like, why were they hiding that? What was the reason behind that? Like what's going on in the environment here that like, they don't feel safe sharing or there's judgment that makes it hard to share or like what's in the water here that's like creating this to be the reality that I'm dealing with. Our natural response is to react to our own fears or betrayals or breach of trust. And I think that needs to be taken care of and addressed. But I think the real fruitful conversation is like, why? Like, what's going on that this is, like, that we have hiding? What's going on that we can't talk about it? And it comes back to what we were talking about under communication. Like, do we have the skills to talk mm -hmm. about this like partners? Do we have the skills to create safety for us to talk about hard and challenging things without um like that getting turned against us and used weaponized against us like developing those skills I think whatever happens in this situation can really point to areas in the relationship where maybe some work can be done um so I'm gonna kind of take a different so yes I agree with all all the stuff that you guys have shared. And I want to go back to that spot where you just found it before you've thought about this and all these different reasons, you're folding laundry and all of a sudden there's a bottle of alcohol in your, on your husband's shelf or whatever. Um, I think that going, I, and I'm going to probably talk about this every time we meet this whole allowing your emotions. So I think it's so important to, you know, you're, you're feeling, you're in this fight or flight, just like, ah, there's alcohol in my house. And, um, I, I like to remember that when emotions are high, intelligence is low. And if I am reacting, I'm probably not going to go show up as my best self. So this is a very important spot to allow those emotions. And there's a little, um, I like to think of our brain having two parts. I call one part the barking dog. So it's the guard dog of your brain. You open, you see this alcohol and all of a sudden your brain freaks out and just barks and is so worried about this perceived threat, this danger that's in your house. And it's so important to address that emotion to, you know, like let yourself feel that fear to, or, you know, whatever, whatever that emotion is, let that dog bark. So the other part of your brain is I think of it as the wise old owl. The owl is the part of your brain that is going to help you look at things and figure out who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? What conversations do I need to have? But before we can get to those those conversations, we got to let the dog bark. So the owl flies back. That wise old owl can help us make those decisions. Cause I think that's, that's part of, cause like I said, when emotions are high, intelligence is low. So, so important to let yourself. And that is a great, that's what we do as coaches. We help people process those emotions that are coming up and figure out, okay, like, what do you, so yes, this happened. Where do we want to go from here? What's the next thing after that dog is done doing its job of being a guard dog? Um, okay. The next, just keeping an eye on time. I've got a, just a couple more minutes here. What can we do? Is there a way to make this a win-win situation instead of a win-lose? What are your thoughts on that? I think that's the, that is the art and the craft of relationship is always, how do we make this work for both of us? And so with alcohol, I think it's very possible to have it be a win-win, but it takes each person knowing like, here's what's important to me. Like, here's my core need around this. It might be autonomy, it might be like choice. It might be safety that that is what I see mostly in couples. One person needs safety and assurance 
that everything is going to be responsible and the other person needs some autonomy. How can we have both so that it's a win-win? Well, that might look like a lot of transparency. When are you going to drink and how, and let's not have it in the home and let's not, you know, like figuring out some rules so that each person can walk away with what they really need out of it. I think that is very doable and it takes a lot of high school communication um, and, and the willing to give and take a little, which is emotional maturity, right? So, uh, but I think it's possible. And I think that is the goal for all relationships is how do we make this work for both of us with our needs and our values and our desires? Yeah, I totally see it as a safety autonomy, like a little bit of a tug of war there between the clients, like, like between the spouses. But I think that's where the win-win can be found. Like, how can we use this as an opportunity to connect and build this relationship to honor your needs for safety, to honor your need for autonomy? How can we build our partnership in this regard instead of what I call like throwing the grenades? A lot of times we like to throw grenades into our relationship. And like, this is the great opportunity. How can we like build on these skills that are vital to so many areas of a successful relationship? I think it's a great opportunity. Um, I was thinking with like with my, you know, my kids are adults and I have found that they're sometimes this is a stretch for me. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest here, but I do have to, I am so thankful that my kids are. So I, I still don't like alcohol. I'm sticking with that. It's not my, I don't think I'm ever going to love it, but I do appreciate that they are open with me and they talk to me about it and they are, um, I can see that they are doing their best to be responsible and I I really appreciate that. So looking for how is this, I don't love alcohol and I can see that they are, um, you know, trying to be responsible and communicating that with me. So I really, really appreciate that. So I've had to kind of, I have to kind of work with that, but they're definitely, I'm thankful for that. Um, that communication. Uh, okay. So the, the other questions that I was, that I wanted to ask tips for spouses who want to drink and also tips for spouses that don't want alcohol in the home. Um, I'm going to share one just really quick. I think that it is so, so being the spouse that doesn't want, and that's actually not my husband doesn't drink either. So I think it's, that's one thing to think about that just because someone has left the church, it doesn't mean that they're going to drink. They might, they definitely might, but I think that's, you know, having that conversation, but it's important that when alcohol comes up, our brain is very black and white. It sees things as it's either this or that it's either you follow the word of wisdom or you're an alcoholic. And I like to show my brain that there's a lot of other options in between. And it definitely takes, it definitely takes some work, but um, just showing, showing my brain that, okay, so yes, that could, and, and acknowledging that, like, you know, having compassion, of course, I'm scared about this. I've got good reasons to be scared and looking at all the different things like you know what maybe they're going to just drink occasionally maybe they are going to drink responsibly maybe they're going to drink and realize like i don't even like this there are so many options so i just want to show my brain that they're i don't have to have this black and white all or nothing mentality so i really i that's a a big place where a coach can help you to look and like, let's look at the other options that are possible. What else could be possible around this? I think this is an area where like requests and boundaries make a lot of sense. Um, you know, like I'm a big fan of like, Hey, I don't like being really clear about what your requests are so they can be put on the table. And maybe it's like, I don't want you to drink in front of the kids. That's something I've heard a lot from clients. I don't want you to drink in front of me. I don't want you to drink in the house, or I do want you to drink in the house. I don't want you drinking outside of the house. Like whatever those requests may be, or the request could be, I want to experiment. And, and I want you to know, like there's the requests, like we do not utilize requests enough in relationships. I would say, 
increase that exponentially here. And this is really another way of saying talk, 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 talk. Like talk more about it, engage more on this. And then there's like the boundaries. Like if this is really a deal breaker for you, if this is really a non-negotiable for you, you're going to need to learn how to talk about that and communicate that. Because I'm guessing your spouse doesn't like cares about you, does care about you. They don't want to hurt you. They don't want to just steamroll you here. And a lot of times it's we just need to talk about it. And if you do have a really firm boundary, you know, like this will end the marriage, like let's communicate that and let's communicate that early on and be really clear about that. Or if you just have a boundary, like don't, like if you drink this in front of me, then I'm going to leave the room or I'm going to go to my parents' house or I'm going to go on a car drive, whatever it is, you need to take care of your own safety and your own emotional well being. Like, please do that. I think sometimes we're just so triggered by it all that we don't think in terms of, okay, what are my requests and what are my boundaries and how can I take care of myself here? And how can I keep communication open and flowing here? I got to give a quick, like one minute warning, because I got to hop on another call. So Suzette, give us your last, your last little thought. I'll make it quick. I totally agree, Brooke. And I, and I also think give each other grace. That's my tip. You are dealing with a complex human process of being an individual identity formation that goes throughout life. That's huge for somebody who's deconstructed their faith. So give grace to the fact that there needs to be identity formation and give grace to the fact that partnership is essential and hard. And this is a messy thing. Identity formation versus partnership. Give each other grace. That's my tip. As you navigate that and communicate it and figure out what that's going to look like, that balance and in, in your particular unique situation. Um, it's, it's hard and it's beautiful. And when you can do it, uh, find that balance of partnership and identity formation. It's just, it really unlocks uh, intimacy in the relationship. It's really beautiful. Okay. You guys, this has been awesome. Thank you for sharing your having, I love just that we can have this discussion from such unique viewpoints and our different experiences. And I hope you guys have found this helpful. We are going to continue on um, with different topics and we will let you know what our next topic is, but stay tuned because it's going to be awesome. And we we're here to help you guys can find our, um, our, where to reach out to us. We'll include that in our, in the show notes or on our social media. So you guys can see where that is. And we just want to thank you. And um, thanks for being here, everyone. It's been a great discussion. You guys have a good day. You don't have to be on the same page with religion to have a great relationship. If you are feeling stuck in all the emotions that are coming up for you in your mixed faith relationships or are looking for tools to help you move forward, I can help you. Sign up for a free session with me. Go to chrisrichcoaching.com and click on work with me because you and your loved ones are worth it, my friend.